This is Marco Reus and you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. of the Yellow Airports. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 3-3 draw against RB Leipzig and we will preview the Friday night game which is tomorrow against Hoffenheim and for all that and more joins me Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? Hey Stefan, I am doing well. How are you doing in this festive period? Yes, uh, it's Christmas time. We have a nice little uh, Christmas tree with uh, Joel Embiid as the Christmas tree topper. So um, I'm doing very well, even though the Sixers suffered their very first home loss last night. Um, all these things are, <laughs> are uh, things we're discussing right now because we actually did not have any uh, pre-chat um, because sometimes we can't keep all our powder dry and, and ramble already in the, in the pre-talk. But Matthias, uh, now that we have basically skipped that, everything is on the record now. So, um, how did you like the 3-3 draw against Leipzig? Um, uh, <laughs> two, three days? How, how are you feeling? How, what's your emotional status? Well, I mean, it, kind of similar to what I said uh, right after the match. I mean, I, I was the only one. <laughs> so, so it says yeah. things. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I was, I was the only one in the panel that said Dortmund would lose. I, you guys all agreed that it would be a draw. As, no, I, oh, also, that's right. I also predicted you, you a loss. You predicted a loss, that's but, right. But I, I've already prepared a line in my head because, you know, some, like half the panel predicted a loss. And half the panel predicted a draw, and in the end, all four were right because Dortmund lost three three. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny uh, how that happened. But I will say, um, to you know, some people kind of went off the deep end again, uh, as as one does. Um, but to say that Dortmund lost a three three against, as Konstantin Ekner tells him, the best team in the Bundesliga right now. That's actually a really positive statement to make, um, especially when you look at the context of the match. Yes, mistakes happen. They do happen, <laughs> of course. Um, Julian Nagelsmann kind of jokingly said about Timo Werner, thank God he's so lazy um, because he just didn't come out of the offside position, which is a place he... he he rarely leaves, which is part of his strength, obviously, is that speculating on that ball. And, uh, you know, the weather. Man, I also, I also need to find a job where my laziness is my strength. <laughs> and you get paid millions <laughs> in the process. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I, it was, it was so crazy, really, when you think about it from an amazing first half to really what was an amazing second half just because of the craziness and then the torrential downpours, which I believe played a huge factor for both sides. Because in the second half, yes, it, people for, were for sliding Dortmund, everywhere. It was, a, it, it was a kalte Dusche, what we say in Germany, like uh, metaphorically, if if things go from, from you know, if, if you're shocked, basically, like the uh, ice bucket challenge or whatever, um, because... 
on 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 Fox Sports Two, you could see um, they they were showing the players as they walked back on the pitch, and when the Dortmund players came from that player tunnel, they and saw the torrential rain. You could literally see in their faces, you know how how they really disliked that because. Um, and I'm projecting a lot here, <laughs> but I think if you just play this sort of half, you do not want anything to change, especially not the conditions. And then when you come out and there's already visible change, as in increased rain, which, you know, it, it was already raining in the first half, if I'm not mistaken, but then it was like torrential downpour. I think that that already did something psycholog psychologically to them. I don't know, but I... People that do sports are weird, so I I feel like I'm not, I'm not going too far off if if I make this uh, presumption. No, you don't. Um, you know, weather has an impact on how you play, and it had an impact on Leipzig as well in the second half. But it it obviously uh, played to their advantage. Uh, you and I had kind of messaged at halftime via WhatsApp, and you said, you know, wait for the long ball. And the moment I saw Forsberg off and Kuku on or Nkunku on. I was like, okay, yeah, they're definitely going for a significantly more direct, higher pace play because they've taken their only playmaker off, their true playmaker. Um, and, uh, but, but, you know, the second half is its own chapter and subplots that we can still get to. Um, but, you know, back to the original question of how I feel, very, very positive. I mean, it was, there was way more positive than negative in the game. And, uh, let me put this, pretty much out there immediately for those that slam me on Twitter for quote unquote, you know, being a fanboy of my guy Buicky and oh, there he goes making a mistake. <laughs> Not only did he save two, make two great saves just before the half after the mistake, he made what even Jens Lehmann classified as a world-class save off of a corner. I believe it was, it was pretty much point blank range. So you know what? Lay off of him. I've seen Manuel Neuer, who over the last 10 years has been the best German keeper, actually make that pretty much same mistake that Bürki made in dry conditions. In fact, he actually headed it straight to the feet of an op opposing player who played it into the goal. So, you know, chill the hell out uh, with Bürki. He saved the point at the end of the day as much as obviously he contributed to it, uh, even though I think his error is nowhere near as egregious as that would uh, Julian Brandt. But again, that's the second half. Let's Let's look at the first half. And how did you see the first half, Stefan? So, you know, in, in, in judo or wrestling, when there's, uh, you know, you, you stand in the ring or, or whatever it's called, that square, and, and you start off with, with the hand ringing before someone gains control and wrestles the other person to the ground, right? Um, and I, I, th I thought this is sort of how the first half and the beginning played out, where it was very disruptive. Both teams pressed and were very aggressive. And then, it was Dortmund pushing Leipzig to the ground and, and keeping them in the headlock or whatever because it was amazing to see the pace, the precision and the control that Dortmund exuded over what we have described the best team in Germany right now. Leipzig were absolutely stunned and uh, I think... Gulashi said it after the game that in the first half they were too passive, where that passiveness was forced upon them by Dortmund. You could see how 
And and we saw the same phenomenon with mines before in Düsseldorf too. Where in, in the fir first minutes they they start to annoy Dortmund, they start to disrupt, but at some point Dortmund catch their flow and then it's game over. And and that same thing I did not expect to happen happened. I did not think that Dortmund would be on this level, and uh, it, I was so positively surprised that I, I usually would have been jumping through the living room had I not been glued to the edge of my seat, because it was such an amazing brand of football that Dortmund played in in the first half. Exactly what I personally want to see is where if they lose the ball, they they try to regain it quickly, but more importantly. They they move it at such speed and and with such uh, finesse that the opponent who you know Leipzig are still a good pressing team even though maybe not as good as they were before under Nagelsmann. Um, it was just a, a sight to behold and um, I I thought well um, if Dortmund would have played like this you know months before they'd probably be maybe five six points ahead of the rest of the league now just because of the dominance and uh, the, the key factor in, in this to me really is Dan Axel Zagadou because Leipzig had no idea how to how to deal with Hummel, Zagadou and Akanji you know at, at the beginning if, if we skip back all the way to the Cologne game and then I think the defeat against Union Berlin the biggest problem that Dortmund had was really how to play out from the back um, where do we continue when we have the ball in our with our center backs, and and what do we do then? Because opponents really managed to to shut that route off right to the defensive midfielders, and then isolated Dortmund on the fullback positions, and that sort of made made things very very difficult for Dortmund to progress the ball into that uh, dangerous area where now Julian Brandt presides. So. This makes me very happy that it took a long while, but Dortmund have come around to a tactic where opponents play, and I think Jens Slimann said it, the right tactical setup and still don't find a solution because the the quality that Dortmund have is just so hard to deal with because when Zagadou steps up with that ball and, and plays it, you know, a short vertical pass or whatever, um, this is very hard to defend. And if you try to take him out of the game, then... Hummels or Akanji can do the same thing or or other things that that are very hurtful to you. So um, this is really Dortmund have found a solution to how to really highlight their own quality and basically put your opponent in front of an unsolvable puzzle, which is what the ideal scenario is. So I was just very happy in, in how fluid it was and and how quick Dortmund shifted the ball you know I, I talk about it a lot before that the, the key to Dortmund's success always lies in the switch of play to move the ball quickly around from left to right and Julian Weigel obviously in the past seasons has been a huge factor in this and uh, it's nice to see it, it being reinvigorated right now Um, there were a lot of quick diagonal balls that, that Dortmund played to play around Leipzig and I thought just the, the way Dortmund uh, yeah really dominated this game um, was was a signal of strength more than anything um, and I will come back to the original point that I was going to make this is my ideal Dortmund scenario is where you intimidate your opponent that they forgot their own strengths and I think the Westfalenstadion always plays a huge factor in that 
when the crowd really roars and and Dortmund plays so fast and so well, I think uh, Leipzig had a little bit of poo in their pants. And uh, to me, this is what Dortmund need to do all the time. And seeing them do it against the Leipzig team that had, I think, five or six wins on a, on a run and came there on hot, fiery form and then shit the bed so hard in the first half, that really made me happy. So it made me very unhappy <laughs> how Dortmund then uh, shed the bed in the second half um, with just complete brain farts. But um, I want to stay a little bit longer in the first half because that's our happy space here. So Matthias, uh, after all that I just said, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, the thing, again, I, I hate referencing an ex-Schalke player in Jens Lehmann, but then again, he did win the Bundesliga with Dortmund, something he was a unable to do with Schalke, um, was he said Dortmund are doing everything right. They're, they're progressing the ball quickly. They are switching play quickly. And positionally, they're good, both when it comes to attacking flow, defensive positioning, and the counter-pressing. And... Uh, Leipzig seemed paralyzed. They didn't quite know what to do, and which was really interesting. And like you said, the beginning was that hand-wringing. And, and I remember sitting there and the nervousness building up in me, watching it and, and going, <laughs> the intensity of this game. There's no way both teams that, that this can keep up for 90 minutes. I was totally wrong because the intensity did not flatten out throughout the match and we'll get into that in the second half and all the positives takeaways that I have from the second second half um what I found was really really interesting was and I've kind of made a mental note of this over the last few matches it seems and and you mentioned Zagadou but it seemed like with the last few matches Dan Axel Zagadou is other teams are almost like acting like he's the pressing trap like they'll let Akanji move it to Hummels, Hummels move it to Zagadou, and then they press Zagadou. And I noticed that against Mainz. I noticed that a little bit against Dusseldorf, definitely uh, Slavia Prague, and then and then obviously now in, in this match as well. It's like once Zagadou got it, they put him under pressure. And that played to Dortmund's strengths because A, Zagadou, yes, he's he can make mistakes, but he's so chill in his whole demeanor. You never, it's not like, Socrates or Toprak in the last few seasons who would get frantic. And and it was always like, oh, God, what's going to happen now? With Zagadou, you're not really worried about that because he exudes so much chillness, for lack of a better term. You, you, you know um, what, what visual I always get mm -hmm. is because he's so tall, his head is so high, he just doesn't see the opponent that's pressuring him. <laughs> he's just like <laughs> like one level above that. And Yeah, and that, that's, that plays into it. And what... What the beauty of that is, not only is he able then, because Brandt is more on his side, Brandt drops in, into those holes, because Brandt's movement off the ball is, if he's not the best, he's one of the best in the Bundesliga in finding space, the right space, and not just space in terms of getting out of the cover shadows of the opponents, but he moves into a space where he can receive the ball, and then he's in a space where he can move the ball or play the ball. So it's not like he just moves away from an opponent, gets it, and the opponent is there right away. It's like he gets the ball, and there's nobody around him. And there are very few players, uh, not saying he's Lionel Messi, but if you watch Messi... Or if you watch the documentary series, I think it was on Amazon, This is Football, where they just highlight Messi for an entire episode and follow his movement, he's able to do that. 
Um, and Brandt is able to do that. Again, not saying he's messy, but he has that quality <laughs> about him. And what that does, because then even if he would play the ball back, guess who's wide open? Mats Hummels, one of the, if not the best build up playmakers out of defense. All of a sudden we saw Hummels playing his signature outside of the right boot pass over and over again. And it opened up even more in the second half where he played some balls that were just uh, amazing. It was like, oh, it's, it's Hummels again. And Akanji with his physical, I mean, it just, it played perfectly in that setup. And to me, the biggest positive takeaway is not just that Zagadou seems to have found his footing and is developing even more and nicely under Favre, that Favre has more confidence in him, but that honestly, over the last couple of matches, haven't really missed Axel Witzel. Weigel has played very, very well. And I think just that complement of those five, the, the, the double pivot, and then the three defenders behind him also helps Weigel, just like it helps Witze. Witze is still a better player than Weigel, but we haven't come out of these matches going, man, the outcome would have been so different with Witze. Uh, uh, granted, there were a, a few resounding victories, but uh, the match here against Leipzig, it's not like Witze being there would have meant a Dortmund victory. That that didn't really play into it, and I think that's huge for Dortmund, for Weigel, for Favre, and for Witze, because now he can have a couple of breaks. And so those are all the high positives uh, I pull out of the first half in particular, but the whole match in general. Yeah, I I, I got to say it was really spectacular to see how Dortmund utilized their strength on almost every every position. And this is in the end what you really want to see: whether Dortmund then end up making weird mistakes or not. Um, I can almost see past it even though it, it annoys me to the bone <laughs> there's no other way to put it but yes I think you make an excellent point um, uh, about uh, both Witzel and, and Delaney being out and it still worked out and I have to say I was very scared um, before the game that uh, Leipzig would just find a way to have Hummels and and uh, Weigel basically um, having to use their pace against Werner and, and Forsberg and Paulsen and uh, this could have all ended very hor horribly. Now in the end, Timo Werner scored a brace but uh, not because of that. Um, so yeah, I it's it's kind of weird because you come away with this feeling like after watching this, this game you look at Dortmund you're like yep, this is a title contender. You know, after um, you know I don't know how many months this season, I was never sure if they would find a turnaround and I was never sure if, if this team could unleash its potential, but not now that they're doing it, you just have hope again and you really hope <laughs> that they can cling on to this and, and it's, it's not just a blip, but uh, in the second half of the season that this is going to be more the, uh, the 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 baseline and, and not the ceiling for Dortmund and um, even though it's it's going to be hard to play on on that higher level obviously but um it's just amazing how a couple of changes completely changed the entire game and complexity for Dortmund and 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 shows us shows us how hard it is to find the right formula and i'm pretty sure that other teams will eventually react to that and and find ways to you know, pull Dortmund down again a little bit. So let's uh, 
enjoy that tactical honeymoon if if you want. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 been an amazing ride these last few weeks, and uh, it's kind of sad that it only yielded in one point against Leipzig. But um, as I said, while it's annoying that Dortmund uh, only got a point out of this, it's also very important that they didn't lose this game. And uh, you can easily lose against this Leipzig side. So it's it's very, very positive for Dortmund to have remained just four points behind Leipzig. So they remain catchable in the second half of the season. So um, to me, that's another big positive. And obviously, um, you know, when we talk about mistakes, uh, we can maybe talk a little bit about mistakes on, on the other side because... Uh, Peter Gulashi also has a couple of uh, errors next to his name because uh, his goalkeeping wasn't the finest on uh, Tuesday night. Um, I mean, he let in the Julian Weigel goal, but uh, that being said, I think that was just very hard to save. Um, what what did you make of, of the 1-0 that Dortmund scored? Um, Jadon Sancho should have scored, should have put it away just briefly b before, but then Julian Weigel pulls the trigger and it just swerves into the net. <laughs> Well, it was actually the perfect match that Jens Lehmann was the English uh, color commentary guy because I always find it extraordinarily cringeworthy when non-goalkeepers criticize goalkeepers because it's such a unique position. It's not comparable to any other position on the field. And, you know, when you hear uh, ex-players, strikers, whatever, say, oh, he should have saved that, getting the perspective from one of Germany's best keepers of the previous decade of the two th early 2000s um, was uh, very good because when you on, on both goalkeeper mistakes both uh, Gulashi and Bürki and uh, because he was also you know Lehmann said I was a high risk high reward keeper sometimes it paid off sometimes it didn't he said laughingly and that's what happens and he he mentioned that I found this really interesting because I never really thought about this but he said goalkeepers today are taught to go down quicker and to speculate more and that first goal from Weigel Gulashi did that but he miscalculated two things that played in the swerve of the ball and when you watch it that that kind of almost like when you're skipping rocks on water that when it's skimmed off of the wet pitch a meter or two before it got to him, that completely changes the flight of a ball. And that all of that combined made him look like an idiot, but Gulashi is one of the best keepers in the Bundesliga. And it just he just miscalculated it. Kind of like Bürki miscalculated in the second half. Uh even <laughs> I still blame the rain for that. <laughs> yeah, I think it both played into that and and we can t we'll obviously talk about that, but I thought that was very insightful from Jens Lehmann something that you wouldn't have gotten if it would have been Okay, Lutz Fanschli is also a former keeper, but uh, if if uh, <laughs> we still wouldn't have gotten from Fanschli, uh, Kevin McKenna or or Ovo Moyela or anybody else um 
God forbid some of the the in-house Fox guys uh, at this from the studio in the U.S. Uh, they they just don't have that insight because why why would they they're not ex keepers they don't care the guy's there to stop the ball whereas Jens Lehmann obviously sees it from a completely different perspective um, so I that that was good for me because then a Gulashi didn't look as big of a bozo <laughs> um, yeah. but then when you really watch it in the replay it was a very difficult shot to save that being said he still probably should have saved it if he would have gone down a little bit later and speculated less, it would have been a pretty comfortable save, in fact. Uh, but because he did what he did, which Lehman said they are taught to do these days, um, it was uh, almost a predictable goal then. Well, we also have to add that there's always an element of surprise when uh, Julian Weigel takes a shot like that, because I don't <laughs> think, uh, you know, Roman Weinfeller always talked about his traffic light where you know the focus level is is red, uh, yellow or, or green depending on how how dangerous it is, and I don't think it's a red hot firing neon light uh, when uh, <laughs> when you have Julian Weigel uh, taking a shot. So I I just think that the concentration level um, is uh, maybe not not where it needs to be. So yeah. But who knows? Well, and, and and why would it be? I mean, that makes perfect sense. I'm thinking all the way back to a few seasons ago, Socrates' goal against Eintracht Frankfurt. And I think Kevin Trapp was in goal for Frankfurt at the time, where he also just took a shot from far away. As a keeper, you're not thinking that your central defender, and Julian Weigel is a borderline central defender, is going to take a shot. Uh, especially a low percentage in, in that situation. Um, but it, in general, Leipzig kind of surprised me a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I think Jens Lehmann said it was Upamecano against all of Dortmund's attacking players at times is what it seemed like. And I'll be honest, that's what it seemed like. He saved their bacon more often than not. Um, and throughout the match, I felt like there was more nervous defensive scrambling from Leipzig than from Dortmund, which I'll be honest, isn't necessarily something I expected given the quality of Leipzig. So that's another positive to see even in the second half, despite one defensive positional mistake that we'll get into a little bit. But uh, overall, Dortmund in the first half dominated. I mean, as much as you can dominate Leipzig, they dominated Leipzig and they never put their foot off the the metal uh the pedal and they honestly started <laughs> suffoc metal to the pedal. Yeah, yeah they they started suffocating them after a while just like they did against Mainz just like they did against uh, Düsseldorf and situationally occasionally against Slavia Prague um so no it's all in all a, a, a great first half from from everybody i can't really single out anybody where i went uh you know they weren't great in the first half on Dortmund's side uh, everybody stayed cool calm and collect which is a theme to go into obviously the second half with that i mean what we really have to highlight is is the passing the ball in in the half spaces and and the utilization of hakimi and, and guerrero um because Dortmund really managed, as I said, the, the switch of play was was immense. But then when you switch the play, that you still have to pass it uh, uh, back into the middle. And I think um, this is where Leipzig exude the most pressure, and and Dortmund uh, formed the triangles very well um, to to keep the ball, either maintain possession or actually take out 
Leipzig defenders and then create an opportunity. So um, I thought that overall the decision making in the half spaces and on the sideline entering into the half spaces was actually quite clever and something that I've criticized often enough on this show. But in this game uh, is something that I personally must highlight because I, I, you know, complain a lot about the lack of automatism. But I think in this game, um, it all looked like a well-oiled machine, and and I have nothing left to to bitch about really. Um, at at least if if I still complain, then it's on on a very high level. Obviously, there's always room for improvement. I but I think um that the the flow these players created, and I I think they were obviously carried on the confidence of the last games. Um, but but still, um, if if you play with this pace it is very easy to screw up and lose the ball. And especially against a team that's good on the transition, if you lose the ball frequently, A, that knocks your own confidence and, and B, really puts the opponent in the game. So um, I really have to say props for Dortmund for not not only in the first half, because I thought they also did that well in the second half um, to to maintain possession and, and not screwing up. Minus obviously the the blatant screw ups, but uh, other than that, it's not like Dortmund made a lot of uh, really uh, you know terrible errors. So um, the uh, two mistakes they made were, yeah, they, they they happened, but it's 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 not like a structural mistake that you make or a tactical error. Really, that's just uh, yeah poor decision making and and poor luck. But overall, I, I thought the decision making was great. But obviously, since this is uh, still very much a review on Brandhive and before we uh, really knock him for his stupid screw-up, um, why don't we talk about the 2 nothing, Matthias? I I, I think you, you should uh, describe this play-by-play. Uh, uh, I mean, I'll be honest. If, if you can. D- yeah, it, it, I honestly, because his movement once he got the ball was so... Um, Amazing. Uh, I, I, I'll be honest. I forgot what happened to get up to the ball, getting to him, just because the way he turned, the way he made the opposition look non-existent, uh, and then the calmness of the finish was absolutely spectacular. And I tweeted right afterwards, uh, that's my goal of the season. You know, bank it already for the end of season awards. I may have to revise that after what he did in the second half. Um, but uh, the, <laughs> the goal itself, uh, you know, obviously I could not put it as eloquently as Lars uh, Polman put it on Twitter right afterwards when he said, I need to change my pants. Um <laughs> But it was, it was truly amazing. Um, and, and it's, you see it again and again over the last few matches. There were a few moves that Brandt put in that were just, I don't, yes, he did those at Leverkusen, but, but since, you know, not a ton of people watch Leverkusen, um, <laughs> you, I don't have them that deeply ingrained in my psyche as, whoa, this is Brandt. You know, it is in the past from Götze. We'd seen Götze do things like that uh, in his previous stint at Dortmund. Uh, but Brandt has truly come into his own now as a Dortmund player. And it, the the uh, betting in period, I think, has come and gone. He is He's here. And he's playing with a level of confidence that, unfortunately, I believe also played into that second half mistake. Uh, something that we <laughs> have occasionally seen from uh, Jaden Sancho as well. And obviously, uh, Mr. Hollywood Pass himself, Mahmoud Dahoud. Um, but that, 
it, it's hard to put it to words what Brandt did. So I will go back to, I guess, my uh, uh, Leo Messi comparison that I made earlier when it came to uh, movement off the ball. And that is a Leo Messi type move and finish. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's it's quite amazing that he beats Upamecano of, of all players with that move because he is, to me, the hardest to beat. But um, overall, this, this goal is only happened because you asked yourself, how did it happen? It, ha it happened because Dortmund really pushed Leipzig far into their own back line because when, when Brandt received that ball, there were, I think, four or five Leipzig players almost on, on the level of their own six-yard box. And uh, then it's it's very hard to defend, obviously. And it, it was the run from Jaden Sancho, like basically in inside of the box from 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 uh, the from Leipzig's right side, and then he just lays it off for Brandt and just this turn. You know, I've I'm one one of my biggest talking points about Julian Brandt in general, and what makes him so good in defensive midfield or central midfield is that. He turns around very quickly. This is something that I've really missed since uh, Ilkay Gunwan, I have to say, and and a, a real strength. And uh, this turn in, in the box was just so nimble. I, I think he he receives it. You know, when he receives it, he he's already uh, turned 180. So basically, he receives the ball with the with the with his back to the goal, and then. He he does another like in in his turn he he just lays the ball ar around Upamecano and then the the finish with the left foot in one free flowing move is is just world class and uh, another thing to be really happy about because ultimately you also want this you know ob obviously you want to create nice team goals and in a way this was a nice team goal but it it wasn't also not a tap in so just having this this art and this skill. It's just pretty amazing to to watch, and when it unfolds, it's, it's just so pretty and beautiful. You just can't look away. So, um, and I I truly believe this is also a psychological factor that Dortmund should use more often if they can, because I think if you show your opponent what you can do when you're allowed to do it, they also approach games in a very different way. If if they see in in more and more ways how this Dortmund side can hurt you you will obviously be more afraid and this is ultimately always the goal. You know, the the pants shitting factor for me always needs to be high in opponents and uh, I think this this uh, Julian Brandt goal is not only art but it also is another knock on, on Leipzig's confidence in, in this game. So um, just well done, Julian. Uh, I, I hope to see more of that in the future but um yeah it's it's just amazing that Dortmund signed this player for what was it 25 million that's years. insane when you think about how much was spent on players like Schürrle and Yamolenko and uh the list goes on well it doesn't actually go on that long but those are the two that 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 uh, jumped to mind um immediately right so yeah i'm i'm just uh, very happy with that tune because um if if anything, this is probably something we will see more often, and uh, yeah, it's it's really a, a, a downer that uh, Dortmund, yeah, then sort of gifted away two goals because I think I've said it. I don't know when, whether it was during the Tuchel era or during the Bosch era, or or maybe more recent. I don't know, but I feel like often 
And I feel like I'm repeating myself, but Dortmund is basically a world-class team that, uh, or or basically a, a team that plays at the top of the league that commits the errors of a relegation team. I, I don't know if there's a better or more elegant way to put it, but I feel like again and again Dortmund play on a very high level and then they're like just mistakes where you don't even know where they come from. I mean, <laughs> I always think back to that uh, Mark Bartra, Roman Bürki fuck-up cooperation away to Stuttgart a couple of seasons ago. Um, this is sort of like something that, that happens way too often to a team where it really shouldn't happen and where I don't really see many reasons for it to happen and I don't have an explanation why it happens and keeps happening because... um. In this game, I think it was the most painful and most frustrating thing just because you you felt like this Dortmund side just ran a 10K, 10K or whatever and Leipzig hardly got their shoes on and then they were gifted these two goals for uh, very little work on their part. So just mucho annoying. Well, I mean, to, to kind of pick up uh, that theme is here's the big difference over the the previous years or even going back a month or two ago, um, <laughs> before when Dortmund would give up leads like this, which they've done this season, um, I don't think you can compare giving up leads to Bremen and Freiburg to this, because no. um, as you had mentioned, those were structural, uh, cohesive screw ups. That was that was like everybody screwed up. It was like a complete organic. It, it was a complete team <laughs> performance in the negative. Whereas these were uh, taking the third goal out of it. The third goal was a little bit different, and, and I want to talk about that uh, separately. But if I look at Bürki and Brandt, who over the last few weeks were two of the best players for Dortmund. Let's not forget Bürki not only saved Dortmund's bacon in this match a couple times, he did it against Slavia Prague, where he was absolutely amazing. Um, those were, and, and to me, Brandt's mistake was significantly more egregious than Bürki's. Bürki had to come out. The way the ball was bouncing, the way the ball was played, he had to come out aggressively. Otherwise, it would have been a 1v1, um, which ironically, it kind of turned out to be anyway. Um, but he had to come out. And the moment he came out, I was watching him. And in my gut, I went, he's he's miscalculated it. Like the moment he was coming out, I'm like, he, he misjudged this. Nine times out of ten in the past, he's gotten it right. And he got it right a couple of times already in this match but he got it wrong that time and part of it he misjudged the, the the bounce and flight of the ball and then on top of it of course everything was sopping wet he still got the ball but he didn't get it cleanly with his head and that's why it ricocheted in a way that it did to the very lazy Timo Werner um, <laughs> who still had a little bit to do I mean Bürki it's not like Bürki just stopped you know, uh, Timo Werner did have to, you know, be on switch and make a finish because otherwise Buki would have stopped him. Uh, and this finish was significantly harder than, than what would happen with Brandt because Brandt's back pass caught everybody off guard. Uh, and, yeah, that's what we call so, a Schnittstellen pass yeah, in Germany. Yeah, exactly. Because it was right in the channel. It was a perfect assist, really, and uh, everyone was caught off guard because of all the players you wouldn't really expect him to play a ball like that in a situation like that, um, whereas Bürki's miscalculation, I'm not going to call it like a total brain fart, it was, they, 
uh, Leipzig were already attacking. I mean, there was danger in the air, so everybody was already switched on to the danger, whereas this, there was no danger. There was nothing. It was, I mean, Brandt, I don't even remember if he was really put under much pressure. Yeah, he was, um, he was uh, put under but, pressure by Paul. But not, I think. but not to a degree that you would play that pass. No. I mean, he had outlets left and right of him with Sagadu and... Uh, Guerrero was even further out, and then Hummels was there. I mean, of all the places he could have passed the ball, that was definitely the one place he shouldn't have. Uh, and I think part of it was not complacency, maybe overconfidence, and maybe that's the good thing that you can pull out of this. You know, hey, Julian, you may be amazing, but you kind of got to get focused all the time. And and I uh, messaged you, I said, oh, he, he channeled his inner Dahoot in that moment, <laughs> uh, because obviously he's well known for doing that, or... Sancho, a few, you know, matches ago, uh, would do that too. Do stupid dribbles deep in your own third where it's like, well, what are you doing? You know, especially against a side like Leipzig, you can't do that. Um, so that to me is the one of the three mistakes. That was the most egregious because it was by far the most preventable. Um, Bjorki's mistake wasn't entirely preventable. Maybe if he would have, if he would have come out, <laughs> it would have been preventable had he fucking stayed in goal. <laughs> well, no, he would have been. It because would have been a one-on-one. -on -one. Akanji had it covered though, mm, so that's I'm, the problem. I'm not sure if he did. Um, he did. And and you, I'm sure. But as a keeper, I, I, you have I, to. Again, we're going back to they have to speculate, and this time he speculated wrong. And uh, but if he would have come out like a half second late, I mean, like not even a half second, a split second later the ball would have hit him flush on the forehead <laughs> because it kind of hit him on the top of the head. And so that's why things kind of happened the way they did. And then the third mistake, that was just Guerrero being positionally unaware defensively, which we know is a huge, huge hole in his game is his positional awareness defensively. And that's, that's what led to that third goal. I think it's insane. I, before I turned off the TV, I saw man of the match, Patrick Schick. And I'm like, really? Schick, <laughs> man of the match, because he scored a gifted goal. Now, he had more to do than, than Timo Vanna, but I could think of a few players on the Dortmund side. But that's why man of the match awards are usually complete bullshit. Um, but that, again, of the three mistakes, if you're going to grade them uh, worst to least worst, worst was Brandt, Birki <laughs> was kind of in the middle, and least worst was Guerrero because it's it's not inevitable, but it's it's we know that's his mistake. That's that's what he can do it, positionally. He was just wrong. Uh, but the positive of it all was I felt Dortmund were much closer to scoring a fourth goal than Leipzig. And what was important was how Dortmund reacted. In previous, you know, when they went through their mini slumps last season and, and kind of the middle part of the Hinrunde this season, you would see the heads drop, the shoulders drop. But ever since Hertha, that hasn't happened. And it was, it, it was ready. It was ripe for them to drop their heads and Leipzig to steamroll them because Leipzig were back in the game, they had momentum, and they were pressuring Dortmund. But then, of course, Dortmund said, no, we kept on attacking. Sancho scored his goal. Um, and at that point, it seemed more like Dortmund were going to get three points rather than Leipzig get a point. Of course, he had that one mistake. But Dortmund still had chances. Sancho coming off injured was very unfortunate because he was playing well. But they still had their opportunities. You think of uh, the positions that Nico Schulz found himself in uh, when he came on. 
there were still enough opportunities to to get three points, but of course Upamecano played. If if you're gonna pick a Leipzig player for man of the match, it's kind of gonna have to be Upamecano because he yeah, he danced around what three or four Dortmund players in one time. Where I'm like, if he loses the ball in that situation, you've got four Dortmund players in on goal, and there were a number of breakaway chances again that Dortmund just didn't quite finish right. And so if there's a critique, really, and I'm taking the brain farts out of it because they're just so freaky, um, a critique point really was in the second half that they didn't finish off the moves quite as clinically as they did in the first half or in a couple of the previous matches. Yeah, one one thing I would like to say about that uh, Berkey uh, situation where he headed the ball away, first of all, um, if he hits the ball in any other way with his forehead... Um, then it will probably not land where Timo Werner is because there were enough Dortmund players in that vicinity. Um, I said before that Akanji had it covered, but I still think that Berkey made the right call. Let's uh, remember what happened because it was just a long punt by Gulashi that was uh, then flicked on by Paulsen or whoever. And uh, it's, it, it was basically a nothing ball. And um, so so it's annoying, but... My one criticism is, and I will repeat what Jens Lehmann said, uh, because he said that Akanji basically and all the other guys around Birki, but mostly Akanji, they all trusted that, that Birki got this one right. And Akanji basically stopped in his tracks. And as I said before, I thought Akanji would have had, would have had it covered had uh, Birki not come out. But that being said, he still maybe should have not switched off and just stopped. Maybe he could have still done something because uh, hitting the goal from that far out isn't all that easy as it may look. So um, this is my tiny criticism there. Maybe don't switch off. And and, uh, as Lehmann said, you have to think more negative. You have to assume even more uh, errors of of your teammates so you can prevent that. But um, otherwise... um, I very much agree with you. When we look at this first half of the season and the the many errors and and problems that Dortmund had, first of all, I I think the the, the biggest issue was that they could not defend their lead. I I don't have the number in front of me right now, but I think the the expected goals against the Dortmund had once they were one up were just completely outrageous. And I I need to look up the numbers again, but uh, now I, I think it's much, much better, <laughs> needless to say, because Dortmund haven't co- collapsed that, that badly. And I, I, I think this is a, a big change in attitude over time that um, Dortmund have, have gone through. And this is obviously a development that happens gradually. But, you know, in, in many ways, you can be proud of this team because um, I think... At the start of the season, in the first weeks when they were one nothing up or two one or whatever, they became far too conservative and uh, sat back and basically invited all that pressure. And uh, then a lot of annoying uh, draws happened, like away to Freiburg or Frankfurt or the one against Bremen, like just very unnecessary. You feel, but you you nevertheless have to make this development in, in in character and in attitude and Dortmund I think have gone through that and the second part that I will want to highlight is that Dortmund have managed to become much better at set-piece defending given that uh, Roman Bürki I think had to make a couple of very good saves against Leipzig and against uh, Slavia in, in recent games but I, I think overall we can state that Dortmund set-piece defending has become much better and so now 
there is one lingering question that's burning inside of me and I know I will never get an answer. So all I can do is inviting Matthias to speculate about this. But um, there was a quote by Julian Weigel after the Leipzig game where he said that basically the uh, formation or tactic or whatever he referenced was something they worked out together with the coaching staff and with the, um, I guess, Spielerrat, what would you translate it? The, the, the players... Uh, the player council, for lack yeah, of a better player term. Council. Yeah, yeah. We, I don't really have a better term, but um, I already had a hunch that maybe the uh, set-piece defending improved once a Hummels or whoever put his foot down and the, the, the players really determined uh, that something needs to change and then they changed it. Like I, I thought the desperation was so so high that uh, eventually they were hurt. I don't know. I wasn't there. Again, speculation on my part. But uh, if I hear Weigel say something like this, I feel like um, this is not hundred percent Lucien Favre who said obviously it was his intuition. But I think that uh, the players um, had a role to play in in Dortmund's turnaround. Just uh, not not on the field, but also off the pitch and, and basically um, the uh, amount of thought going into what Dortmund are now. So that's just my part of of speculation because I really don't know, but it's still an ominous quote coming out of Julian Weigel's mouth. So what do you make out of this? Yeah, I mean, all of it is speculation, um, but my, my strong assumption, you know, I mean, Lucien Favre is known to work well with players. There really aren't in his history. A lot of players went, dude, man, I hated that guy. Um, and given the pressure he was under and the pressure of the team were, were under, and he is a reflective, nice man, um, maybe a little philosophical in his approach to things. Uh, he probably went and looked at it and went, you know what, what I'm doing isn't entirely working so let's give this a shot. And that's the difference between a good manager and a bad manager, because a bad manager, they'll just continue doing the crap that they have been doing, whether it works or not. Um, or those guys that just change all the time because that gives no continuity. Um, and, and as such, I think he probably acquiesced to their requests based upon his own observations and reflections. So it may have been, again, speculating, uh, just the, the perfect timing of when they brought things up and maybe when he came to certain realizations. Uh, and so it it just worked out. Um, you know, all in all, you have to say that Dortmund look happier uh, playing right now than they have, um, you know, for the second half of last season and for stretches of this season. It was also interesting to see, I don't remember where it was, but Favre completely losing his shit on the sideline at one point. And I don't think I had seen him, seen that side of him. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing for the players to see. And honestly, it's a good thing for the really annoying mainstream media to see and for, uh, you know, the, the, the Twitter trolls to see, uh, to be like, uh, you know, he cares. This isn't, you know, I mean, this is an emotional person. He just bottles it and funnels it a little bit differently and channels it a little bit differently. So, um, Again, adding to speculation, I think it was probably a combination of both rather than him being put under pressure by the players and player power and all that kind of stuff. I think it's it's probably uh, – it was good timing that both 
both parties came came to an agreement, so to speak. Yeah. Anyway, but I mean, I think he, Lucien Favre highlighted at the post match conference really um, how Dortmund, after suffering that two two equalizer, um, then turned around and and basically shook it off and and scored another one. I thought that was um, that was quite amazing. And uh, so, uh, yeah. Also, just kudos to to uh, I think Reus was it in the end who, who who played that pass to to Sancho. Just the these cutbacks is something that I want to see more often, to be honest. And it's something Dortmund try a lot and sometimes don't really pull it off. But to to find Sancho in the, in the crowd of so many other players, um, Leipzig players, uh, was quite nice. And I think this is the the one mistake that. Um, uh, Gulashi made, if if you will, because I think that was that was save, savable. That shot wasn't really well placed, but it sort of um, yeah came off the palm of of his hand, or so it just looked very very awkward. And I think he could have done better, but um, you know we have sort of skipped the the final win against Mainz. And if we talk about goalkeeping mistakes, then I think we can talk more about Sentner and and the, the shots he let in against. Uh, Hazard and uh, I think the the Sancho goal or so he could have also saved I don't know but uh, I I think we from from the Mainz game there are a couple of things I I would like to mention before we move on to Hoffenheim yeah makes but, sense I think we've said everything we need to say about Leipzig match at this point uh, a three three loss but that's a <laughs> we're only fifty minutes in, I know what do you mean I don't, well we I mean I I actually do have one last okay. point and it's just okay. uh, I'm I'm haunted by long balls. Ever since the Champions League final, where Mats Hummels and Nevin Zubotic could not deal with the simple, well, it wasn't a simple long ball, but it was a long ball in the end against uh, Ribéry and Robben. Uh, so, um, when I see a punt, <laughs> just, you know, for the opponent to just, you know, aimlessly punt the ball forward, I, I always sort of, I cringe. I don't know why, but, and uh, I, I told you at, at half time that I feel like Leipzig will just try to punt more balls into the mixer or whatever you call it, just play more high area balls forward because um I think that's still a big Achilles heel of, of Dortmund and um Well it's an Achilles like- heel for any top side. I mean, yes. if you look at a lot of times how do Manchester City or Liverpool get undone, it's a long ball over the tack over the top when they've transitioned to to the offensive phase and they just can't recover fast enough because there's a ton of space behind them. And uh, yeah, that's especially with Leipzig's pace. I just wanted to say how much I hate it and I wish we could ban them. <laughs> yes, so. if we could if we could ban uh, the the kick and rush, that would be great. But, but for me, what was very interesting was, um, you know, you had the older manager in Favre against the young manager, Julian Nagelsmann. And for all of the tactical um, nuances and ingenuity and genius of um, Julian Nagelsmann, you have to say he pretty much got the game wrong uh, completely. And relying on direct pace, play, play into space, long ball type football... It's not exactly uh, tactical genius. Um, I would say when it comes to the tactical interpretation of the game and that battle from a coaching standpoint, Favre definitely won the game because you can't blame him for the three mistakes. And you definitely cannot give Julian Nagelsmann any credit for at least two of the three goals. 
No, absolutely not. And I, I agree with you there, absolutely. This uh, tactical battle was uh, very much won by, by Favre. And I have to say, um, Nagelsmann, I think, mitigated it in the second half um, with his substitutions. And I think this is why Favre in the end brought on, on Piszczek, um because you could see Nagelsmann trying to play more more widely, um, more over the wings, because obviously in Dortmund's system there is more space, because Leipzig usually try to play a lot through the middle. Um, so yeah, he, he did better. And so if we talk about this coaching duel, I think the only criticism I really have to what Favre said he didn't bring on Alcasa for the last 20 minutes or so for Royce because A, um, I think rotation is is uh, just very much needed and we all know um, how much uh, an impact player Paco Alcasa can be off the bench even though he, he didn't play for quite a while. I don't care. Um, you want to have a striker in there because there were a couple of scenes uh, where Dortmund probably would have scored had uh, the likes of Hazard and Sancho or whoever uh, more of a striker's instinct and that was missing here and there even in, in this game so I just would have liked to see what would have changed and I think Royce was pretty tired in the end anyway so um and now I think he is out against Hoffenheim because of a muscle injury so um this is maybe my only criticism and I, I basically asked I didn't know that Favre was only allowed two substitutions after the game and people were like uh you can't blame Favre for this. No, I'm not blaming Favre, but I still think it's it's valid to criticize him for this because um, you have a lot of good players on that bench. So um, please, please uh, utilize it to the full extent if, if possible. I can understand the reasoning why you don't want to change much because overall the structure and the shape was working very well. And if you have an access of Julian Brandt and, and Marco Royce, anything can happen any single second. So... I understand the reluctance, but I also um, think that Julian Brandt and Paco Alcasa could work out quite well in, in other games. So this is really the, the only thing that I would criticize, but also not too much because I really want to highlight how amazing and how good Dortmund were. And I, I, I'm i still starstruck a little bit and flabbergasted by um, how good this was, especially in the context of how shitty Dortmund were in, in recent weeks and months and uh, Favre was on the verge of being fired or on a hot seat at, at least uh, you know Watzke made a couple of uh, threats basically saying if the results don't change you, you gotta go so I'm um, sitting here now with this turnaround is just the best thing that could have happened to us seriously I mean obviously the, the Favre out camp is, is still somewhere and I still don't think he is the, the best fit for this club but by golly, is it good for him to still be there and don't playing this well? Well, I agree 100%. I mean, he's going to be there until the end of the season and maybe beyond, depending on how the second half of the season goes. I mean, if you look at how the opposition is doing, there's a little bit of a mini blueprint here on how to counteract Leipzig now uh, that Dortmund have shown. Um, yes, Bayern beat Freiburg 3-1, to but uh, I would say that was a lucky win for them, but it's Bayern. We're, we're used to lucky wins occasionally because they're just that good, uh, but they are not An perfect. Another long ball. Correct. For yep. Them. 
And then obviously, I hate long balls. <laughs> and then of course, you know, uh, Gladbach aren't a complete team, um, as was also highlighted in the Europa League exit. So there is definitely a momentum shift that can occur pretty quickly. Now we have a winter break coming up, but I think it's actually a good time for for Dortmund because everybody can kind of get back up to speed and get healthy again. Maybe bring in a an out and out striker and refi- <laughs> refine some of the smaller issues that that are still there um, over the course of the winter break. So I think uh, it it comes. Um, at a good time for Dortmund. It's not a bad time per se, uh, but but obviously it all depends on how how things shape out against Hoffenheim. But of course, we'll probably see Sancho and well, definitely Royce won't play, and I'd be surprised if Sancho plays. Uh, that would be a little bit of a push, but that's for the Hoffenheim discussion. But you wanted to talk a little bit about Mainz. Yes, and what I will say is Dortmund, Dortmund. What you gonna do? what you're going to do when they play Zagadou because that was another amazing game by none other than Dan Axel Zagadou and uh, his 60 meter, 70 yard or whatever sprint it was <laughs> and then picking out Sancho for, I think it was a 2-0, right? The counter-attack. Um, that just sparked so much joy to my heart that uh, we cannot uh, leave this unmentioned and uh, it was also a, a nice goal even even though I think Still think it was savable. It was still counter to the direction that the goalkeeper was going to. So um, just so so well taken, and uh, just to have that grit of Zagadou to just see the open field and just uh, start marching forward, and uh, you could see that uh, the other attackers next to Zagadou weren't going on full sprint, or they would have all ran offside but needed to stay level because, I mean, he's fast, but on the ball and with the ball, he's in the fastest. But nevertheless, um, that was just uh, amazing to see. And obviously Dortmund, I think, added the 3-0 uh, not much later. And then you had Torgen Hazard get yet another goal. Um, so yeah. while we pretty much skimmed over this game, um, I think it's it's still not worthy that A, Dortmund uh, finally executed some counterattacks which is much needed and I hope we see more and and be as I mentioned before uh you know this whole little wrestling match because I thought Mainz had a good strong opening 10-15 minutes that game was a real shit show and not very easy on the ice but then again Dortmund gained control and um Adam Dorowski <laughs> friend of the pod uh posted a, a picture <laughs> of Roman Bürki full highlights and then was just a gif of him playing the ball to some player, just loosely kicking it uh, in midfield, which really summed up how this, how good this Dortmund team is. Because I think Mainz then turned around and, uh, yeah, punished Bremen five to nothing. <laughs> so uh, it's not like this team can't attack at all. So um, just to highlight again at what Dortmund, at what level Dortmund played in in this week and in recent weeks, um, just not allowing a single shot on target by minds who are feisty i would say that and and can be very very uh yeah uncomfortable um to have such a comfortable delightful afternoon on on a saturday and you just sit there and you know Dortmund are going to easily win this and and bring the three points home and do something for the goal difference that was simply delightful so um and it's also good to see that uh 
Achim Bayerlords just uh, had to downright admit after the game that there was just zero chance for him. He said like, oh, well, we tried our best. It's not that our team didn't do everything for this, but Dortmund were just too flexible and we didn't have an answer. So this is uh, this is basically waving the white flag. And uh, as I said before, in the shitto panzo meter, uh, this is exactly what I want to see is that uh, other teams just accept defeat and give up and the ultimate goal uh, of uh, domination. So um, here we are. Well, I mean... Very good final win. Yeah, I, it was comfortable. It was inevitable at one point. Um, and I will... I like Achim Bayalotza. I think he's really turned minds around. Uh, they've, they've played well, and they just got completely beaten, now played. What I liked about him was, you know, we've had matches before where the opposition manager, even after getting their ass kicked, would somehow, you know, maybe blame a ref, or we were unlucky, or we had plenty of opportunities. I, I remember, you know, various press conferences after the match where you looked at the opposition coach and went, really? You, were we at the same game? So you got, <laughs> you got unlucky. Okay. And Bialozza, like you said, was basically like, well, they're just too good for us. Um, and Dortmund are, I'm sorry, Dortmund are significantly better than Mainz, than Dusseldorf, um, and I believe significantly better than, than their upcoming opponent, who are though then better than a Dusseldorf or a Mainz. So, uh, you know, there, there's, it closes the gap a little bit. Um, but it was, it was perfect. The buildup that we had, and I mentioned it previously of Dusseldorf, um, Slavia Prague and Mainz was a good build up to Leipzig and then Hoffenheim. Um, you know, gain some confidence, play against uncomfortable, difficult, um, sides, uh, so that when you're playing against a Leipzig or also a Hoffenheim, even though Hoffenheim are a little bit more passive in their approach, uh, it, it doesn't feel as uncomfortable. You've faced it before and you can play around it. Um, and so it, it was perfect. It was a great, I mean, I was, I was so relaxed watching that game Saturday morning, you know, a cup of coffee <laughs> in my hand, just chilling, watching it with the kids. Uh, that, uh, yeah, it was, it was just nice, you know, and my wife even said, Oh, I like it when Dortmund plays like that because you're in such a good mood for the rest of the day. <laughs> uh, that's the downside about 7:30 a.m. Uh, kickoff times uh, in the U.S. because if if it's uh, you know uh, uh, the four four against Schalke, if we think about that, needless to say, I was not not really in the mood for the rest of the day at that point. But this this was nice. It was positive. It was just, honestly it was a stroll in the park after twenty thirty minutes, um, and uh, that's that's nice to see. Comfortable wins are good, Stefan. Yes, they are. I love them. More of it, please. So, um, yeah, I, I think we can now move on to, to the Hoffenheim game. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's very close to Christmas. I just had my 30th birthday not too long ago. So, Matthias, I would like to make a wish. And the wish is I'm very pissed off about Dortmund having to play on Friday after, uh, you know, Champions League and all that. And especially way to Hoffenheim in this schedule. So my wish is, can you please put my pissed offness into a nice little crisp rant? Uh, me to rant about yeah. uh, scheduling 
Borussia yes. Dortmund on a Friday after playing uh, basically Englische Wochen for what seems like a month and a half. Yeah, while well, everyone uh, gets gets to chillax another day. Yeah, it just um, it obviously gives um, an advantage to everybody else in the title hunt uh, because, needless to say, Hoffenheim are not in a in a hunt for much of anything, in my opinion. I think they're going to find their form in mid table. Um, it it's uh, uh, let, let's call it frustrating. I would venture to guess, even though I'm sure someone will prove me wrong, that uh, this probably would not happen to Bayern. Um, if they play on a Tuesday after a lot of midweek matches that they have to play on a Friday subsequently. Um, yes, I mean, theoretically, they have the same amount of time off because they played on a Wednesday, so they're playing on a Saturday, so that kind of defeats my argument. Um, no, but <laughs> it doesn't. It does not because they had another day off yeah, between true. the other game. That's true. So this is that's another true. rest day they had that Dortmund don't have. So no, this argument is not defeated good i'm glad i'm not wrong themselves very much hard because i'm fucking pissed because i want to have a fucking happy win at the end of the hinrunde i don't want to go into my christmas into my winter i don't want to go with a big fat l or a draw or whatever which is going to be frustrating as fuck and we all know dortmund struggle as per usual in hoffenheim so you have Dortmund playing in Hoffenheim, you have Felix Zweier as the referee, which already bodes fucking disaster for Dortmund, and then you play at this shit team, and a fucking Friday, after, I don't know, five, four English weeks, I can't, I mean, Dortmund's roster is, is pretty tired, Favre has hardly rotated, so, um, there were injuries too, so this is going to be a very ugly game for Dortmund, and I really do fear the worst that Hoffenheim, after slumping about and being all shit and not really filling the stadium or doing anything nice, now turn around for this one game, which is their game of the season or whatever, their last home game where they want to show the fans off and all the hate. And we all know Dortmund always shit the bet the most against team I don't like. So here we fucking go. This is going to be yet another shit show. And I put this squarely on the Deutsche Fußballliga if this does not end into three points in Dortmund. If, if Dortmund win, it's great. I get to sit on the couch and see everyone else fail the next two days, but this is annoying me to the end of time that this draw happens on a Friday night after so little recuperation and all the things that Dortmund went through. It just shows the disrespect of a team that's just qualified in the freaking Champions League, in a group with Inter Milan and Barcelona, where they really, uh, you know, against, uh, I think, Spanish and and, and uh, Italian and Czech table leaders, if if that still holds true. I haven't checked Serie A standings in, in recent times. But nevertheless, an amazing achievement. And this is how you thank Dortmund. With this shit show of a scheduling, um, I am very appalled. And I know that the uh, timeline doesn't quite hold up to what I just said. But nevertheless, I am pissed. <laughs> well, I, I mean, am really fucking pissed it... <laughs> to have Hoffenheim this golden advantage on a silver platter for no absolutely fucking reason other than you need to give the zone or whatever one last good game. But out of this match day, you could have picked so many other fixtures, which is not the Dortmund game. So please spare me, DFL. Please spare me. You could have picked, I don't know. Bayern against Wolfsburg, which is a nice game. 
or uh, Fortuna Düsseldorf against Union Berlin, who play now on Sunday. This is the perfect Friday game. Just highlighted, oh, relegation battle. Isn't that nice? So yeah. why the hell does <laughs> Dortmund have to play on a Friday night on December 20th? Just no. Just fuck everyone involved in this decision. Middle fingers everywhere. Sorry. You get to I, edit I, I that. Um, <laughs> the, well, the funny thing is, well, not funny. It's not funny. But it, it harkens back to, I can't remember if it was Sok or Vatska with a kind of softer mini rant about the scheduling that Dalton have to play away after every Champions League match, uh, the way the scheduling worked out. And that was already the first critique point. Like, what the hell? You know, um, nobody else is doing that. Why are we doing that? And this kind of falls into that same thing because I'm sorry. Why, why are Union Berlin and Fortuna Düsseldorf getting a Sunday game? You know, I mean, it's kind of a... Um, yeah, they also both played on Tuesday. Yeah. They get two extra days yeah. of rest. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, that's where you have to think about it as a DFL. And I know these schedules get made months in advance, but you have to look at it in all... And and if anybody accuses this of, of big team bias arrogance, okay, fine. And I'm okay with that uh, because screw you. Who's going to advance <laughs> German football more? Fortuna Düsseldorf exactly. and Union Berlin or Borussia fucking Dortmund? In that situation, who do you want to be at the top of their game at any given time with the most amount of rest? Do you want it to be Fortuna Düsseldorf or Union Berlin who are going to play and play in the second Bundesliga in a couple of seasons again? Or is it Borussia Dortmund who you need to be a standard bearer internationally beside uh, Bayern and uh, the, the crap out of Leipzig? So... Um, great. Now you've got me all worked up. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it kind of plays into that where it's like, no, this isn't, this isn't what you need. This isn't what you want. Dortmund are going to make, in my opinion, chicken salad out of chicken shit. And I think they're going to kick the shit out of Hoffenheim because, in my opinion, two players are going to come onto the pitch in Mario Götze and Paco Alcacer, who are both pissed, who are both have something to prove. And um, I think that will bode well for Dortmund and very poorly for Hoffenheim. I think on top of that, you will have Nico Schulz play, uh, who looked good again at the wingback position. And I wouldn't be surprised if Pischek plays for Hakimi. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if Pischek plays for Hakimi and Hakimi plays for Sancho, uh, given his pace. But I, I think um, Dortmund, I think Dortmund will win. I think it won't be easy because Hoffenheim, you know, it's a good coach and stuff like that. But um, I'm not worried about a loss or a draw in this match, to be perfectly honest. I know our track record against Hoffenheim in Hoffenheim, but that's more when there's something on the line, like possibly getting them freaking relegated from a, quite a few years ago when Dortmund could have sent this abomination from Hoffenheim into the Zweite Bundesliga and were un oh, incapable of doing that. But there's nothing really at stake in this match. It's not like, um, you know, uh, for Hoffenheim, it seems to be, it only, it only screws up when there's something at stake for Hoffenheim. You know, they're a mid table team and they will be no more than that this season. Um, so I think Dortmund will win. It won't be easy. The atmosphere will be crap because it's Zinsheim. Uh, but, uh, the, the point of the rant is still perfectly valid in that I I maintain the DFL would not 
have scheduled this uh, for Bayern and maybe not even for Leipzig because, you know, money speaks. Yes, yes, that's good old conspiracy podcast here now, but uh, that's uh, also Dietmar Hopp's influence on the DFL and his billionaire money. It's evil. It's corrupting the fairness of the Deutsche Fußballliga. This is this is what's going on here, folks. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're going off the deep end a little bit now, so just bear with us here. Um, Come on, it's Christmas. Well, let, let's have some fun. Well, I'll be honest. If if uh, Elling Holland ends up at Leipzig, that just proves how uh, corrupt that entire system is. Because exactly. are you kidding me? I mean, there is literally no. If somebody says he's going there for Nagelsmann, oh. Whatever, you know, Nagelsmann is not Pep Guardiola, and the the players that go to Manchester City don't go because of Pep. They go because Manchester City just spends a ton of corrupt oil money on them. Uh, it's no different at Leipzig. They're going there because of money and because of the way things are being handled behind closed doors. If you don't believe me, I I would recommend you to read uh, Football Leaks. Uh, I think it's also available in English. Um, I mean, I, I've read the, the German version or, you know, if you want to go really deep, go, you know, read FIFA Mafia. That's, that's even, that's even better, but it, it is there. It does exist. And you can't tell me that that does not play into certain decision making, whether it's transfers or scheduling, because it's a little egregious this first half of the season how Dortmund have been negatively, I'm, I'm not going to say they were, well, they were disadvantaged in the scheduling. I mean, playing away matches after every single Champions League tie uh, and then having this Tuesday-Friday matchup. I mean, I'm sorry, the DFL should know better than that. And it's it's one of two things, Stefan. It's either... They are, there's a level of conspiracy corruption in there, or they're just that fucking stupid. So, anyway, Hoffenheim are ninth place. <laughs> On that note, have seven wins, three draws, six losses, and are six points behind Dortmund. Dortmund have 30 points, Hoffenheim 24, and have a goal difference of minus four. And after, uh, or before beating Union Berlin 2 nothing, they have, uh, not won the four previous games. They had a loss against uh, Mainz. They lost five to one to Mainz and had a one-one draw against Düsseldorf. And then, uh, yeah, three-one loss to Hoffenheim uh, to to Leipzig. Same thing. And then uh, another quite crunching loss to FC Augsburg at home, two to four. So, um, yeah, they are not the best team, as you just mentioned. <laughs> um, but um. They have also been one of the most inconsistent teams, I think, in, in this league. I mean, as I just mentioned, they have only one uh, fewer loss, one less loss than, than Dortmund. And uh, so they they had they had a couple of very good results and they can be a stumbling block. But I also don't feel like um, Hoffenheim have yet found their way after Nagelsmann and uh, also their, their system that's just, you know... If you look at, at Scoff, who is playing as their midfielder, number 10 or whatever, I think he was, he was signed as a striker from Denmark. And so uh, I rem, I was contemplating adding him to my, my fantasy team because he has, uh, 
you know, done what uh, basically Lucas Barrios did before Dortmund signed him from Colo Colo. He, he just had an outrageous scoring um, thing. So um, maybe someone will correct me and, and tell me he was not playing as a striker, but I remember that he was uh, playing playing as a forward. So, um, you know, uh, it's it's just very, very uh, yeah, Easy, easy to see that uh, not everything has been completely figured out at Hoffenheim yet. So my big hope is while I think they have a lot of good players and uh, a very good functioning team, that the a the uh, loss of Nagelsmann and also of uh, Amiri and uh, the other guy that I just can't think of, Demir by, um, will help Dortmund to to win this game, even if Dortmund are on their last legs now. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Dortmund, uh, the players that will come in, again, I wouldn't be I mean, Nico Schultz uh, returned, quote-unquote, home, even though obviously Zinsheim and Hoffenheim are at the same time. Yeah, the curse of the X. That's right. That's right. Um, I I think Dortmund will win it. Um, I'm I'm not even concerned that Dortmund won't win it. Let's put it to you that way. It's not overconfidence. I just, looking at how both the trajectory of both teams – Yes, they beat Union Berlin, but taking trajectory of both teams and where they are in their Findungsprozess, so we would say <laughs> in German, where they're trying to figure out who they are and, and which way they go. I think Dortmund is settled. Favre knows. He knows the tactics. He knows the approach. The team knows it. And Hoffenheim, like you said, are still trying to figure it out a little bit. Um, and there is a significant quality difference between the two, in my opinion. Uh, yes, Hoffenheim have a little bit of advantage because they're a little bit more rested. They're playing less matches overall. But I think the players that will come in, again, I expect Nico Schulz. I expect Paco Alcacer and or Mario Götze to play in this match. And then probably Pischek and, and maybe then Hakimi moves up, up forward, uh, which he's perfectly capable of doing. Um, so I think Dortmund uh, will win this. I, I think other than that, you're not going to change anything else. Uh, Brandt and Weigel and, um, Hazard and the back three will stay the same because why not? Um, and, uh, as such, I think Dortmund have more than enough to win it. And even though Hoffenheim aren't a bad side and they will have their moments and their chances and Buki will be tested and the back line will be tested, I think the final result and score line will look maybe a little bit more comfortable than uh, large stretches of a match will be. Well, I I must say I will uh, uh, be... Well, I guess positively surprised because I never get that Hoffenheim monkey off my back. Uh, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like the universe... Just can't allow Dortmund to to win games there. Um, so I'm 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 very uh, cautiously optim- optimistic. Um, I I appreciate your optimism. Um, what I would say is um, that I mean Scoff right now is I think playing as a left back. So um, I'm I'm just looking at the at the lineup of um, of their uh, starting eleven against. Um, Union Berlin, and I would say this, um, the, uh, double pivot of Samaseku and, and Grilich is something that I personally quite like. I think that's a, it's a very good mix, and it's interesting that they play, uh, Sebastian Rudi is more of a number 10, we're still in the defensive midfield. Um, 
I think that's a position that suits him in, in certain systems and can inflict a lot of damage because of his physicality and, and ball winning skills. So um, it's a bit much like playing Sebastian Rode there for a certain uh, reason and purpose. So I think this uh, helps you out when you play against teams that are better than you. And Kramaric is, I think, uh, a very good striker. And I think Ilias Bebu, a, a very pacey uh, winger on on the right wing. So um, I think Hoffenheim do have their weapons to to hurt Dortmund in in certain ways. And I I feel like uh, long balls will once again be a theme of that night. So um, and I think it's it's going to be very crunchy. So um, if Dortmund want to win this game, I think they need to ch channel. Um, their own feistiness that uh, they showed against Hertha Berlin because um, Hoffenheim are still a very physical team and Dortmund will need to find ways to counter that. So um, I think this needs to be, they, they really need to squeeze everything out that is left in them, which is, I think, not a lot because Favre really did not rotate much, which makes it, as I previously rented, all the more tougher for Dortmund to to get this kind of intensity level onto the field again. But um, here is hoping that Dortmund can maybe cruise to another win as they did against Mainz simply by, um, yeah, cudgeling or bludgeoning Hoffenheim, uh, not with just their physique, but also just with a good combination play. I really hope that even with the change in, in personnel, that uh, Dortmund can maintain that level of uh, of playing. And um, my hope is that Julian Brandt, who probably will be tired, um, can maintain that level and uh, Julian Weigel helps in that. Because in the end, when we look at all the games that Dortmund succeeded recently, um, we have to say they have done a tremendous job of uh, having either Brandt or Weigel open and always having this sort of hub to play around and then really move the ball quickly and with that move the chains of the opponent and that has a had for them to have a lot of control and with that uh, minimizing the risk of uh, stupid counterattacks and and that sort of stuff and uh, also um yeah just creating opportunities for themselves so it's been good defensive and attacking position all in once I would say with this combination so I'm I'm quite happy and I'm very hopeful that uh, Dortmund can show this one again. And obviously, uh, if you have Zagadou in your team in, in this form, um, there's just another X factor that uh, Hoffenheim, who usually play just with one striker, might not be able to to cope with again. Here's hoping. So that's that's my two cents on 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 the game. So I'm not underestimating Hoffenheim one bit, even though they have been quite poor and mediocre in in recent weeks. But uh, I I know this team is is capable of of shocking Dortmund in in ways that uh, are maybe unconventional, but nevertheless, uh, yeah, very uncomfortable sometimes. Okay, so what do you think the final score will be? Uh... I think Dortmund will grind this one out. I think that's going to be a, a 2-1 win for Dortmund. I'm going to go with a 3-1 win and some contentious decisions because of, of the previously mentioned referee. Felix Zweier, yes. Um, who, Still if you, on my shit list. <laughs> if, you, if you want to find out more about Zweier as, and why he's a controversial 
referee. Uh, just Google it. You'll find it. There's no point in going into it anymore here. Uh, but I think Dortmund will win 3-1. Okay. Yeah, I can I can live with that. So, Matthias, I think that sort of wraps up our preview. I, I like that we spent such a long time on the Leipzig game because it was such an extraordinary game. And I think a lot of people already had dubbed it the game of the season, at least so far, because it was so exhilarating and so... Um, And Dortmund were so good for most stages. And, uh, you know, it's it's nice to end this season or this, this first half of the season on a high note after a lot of complaining and bitching and negativity also on your and my part. So um, it's good that we've all been wrong and, and Dortmund can actually do something. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm just very happy so um to what the, the the holidays the christmas um this is always positive so i really do pray that dortmund can eke another three points out before the winter break because otherwise i will be a little bit pissed so we don't want that so please win <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. So, uh, Matthias, once again, thank you for coming on. And uh, if you have any final thoughts, now is the time. Uh, well, always a pleasure. Uh, no real final thoughts uh, aside from one thing. Uh, just so you know, I've started blocking more people on Twitter. If you're going to be an asshole, you're going to get blocked. So, you know, find a different hobby. But uh, for everybody else, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Matthias Zug. <laughs> yeah, find yourself blocked on Twitter at Matthias Zug. Um, okay, so uh, on, on that note, you can find me at Stefan Butzko. My, uh, I usually don't block people unless they are homophobic or racist. So if you find yourself blocked, you must have said something very horrible or just been trying to antagonize me. Um, but uh, that usually doesn't happen. So I'm I'm not as quick with that mute button, but sometimes it does happen. Anywho, so um, yeah, at Stefan Butzko, you can follow me on Twitter if you want to follow all of us and not get blocked. At Yellowwallpot on Facebook and Twitter is the name. And you know, our written content which I apologize has been a little bit more sparse because uh, Q4 has uh, put a little bit more work on my plate. Um, then you go to theyellowwall.net where you can also find all the ways to subscribe to this uh, not ranty podcast and not cons conspiratorial podcast, uh, which is obviously iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or YouTube. And uh, please subscribe, rate, And share, this is uh, what helps us out the most because there are still people out there who are long-time, lifetime Dortmund fans have never heard of us. So please, that's the biggest help. And if you want to sponsor an episode, get a shout-out for yourself or the fan club or whatever, please pitch in 10 bucks on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash wall, and you will find all more information there. If not, shoot us an email at yellowwallpod.com at gmail.com and I think that's it and we shall be back I hope before Christmas I mean we, we have a whole weekend now thanks to the DFL to discuss the podcast so uh, the, the Hoffenheim game if we're willing if not for whatever reason I wish everyone out there a happy or Merry Christmas and to you Matthias obviously as well and as always thank you for listening and goodbye